be agents of change, have agency and display it, make, put the organizations on a path that is equitable and fair and just. How do we do all of these things? Byrne, Associate Provost for Undergraduate Retention and Dean of Undergraduate Studies. Hi, I'm Allison Pease, Associate Provost for Institutional Effectiveness. In our series on creating a framework for a culturally responsive, inclusive, and anti-racist curriculum, we are going to talk today with those who are responsible for criminal justice-related majors at John Jay. It goes without saying that this discussion is very important to our students, to our faculty, and to really the whole enterprise, because criminal justice is part of John Jay's history. It's part of our foundation, and currently about a third of our students are engaged in criminal justice majors. Many of them are going to go on to criminal justice research programs. So we take very seriously what it means to be an institution that has a particular emphasis on criminal justice at a time when the national call is for criminal justice reform and taking a deep look at race, racism, cultural responsiveness, inclusiveness in criminal justice is leaving many of us wondering what can we do with our criminal justice majors? And I think what you hear in this conversation that particularly landed with me is that our faculty is doing what faculty do best. They're taking a look at their disciplinary materials. They're asking challenging questions. And when they can't answer those questions, they're looking outside. They're looking at sociology. They're looking at anthropology. They're looking at Africana studies, Latinx studies. Uh, political science in order to find the literature and the theories that they can use to best serve their students and answer some of those questions. And in this podcast, you will hear what it means to be a part of various criminal justice disciplines to have this conversation about what anti-racist work might look like. We started our discussion by asking, given national discussions about systemic bias in the criminal justice system in the U.S. and abroad, is there anything criminal justice-related curriculum can and should be doing? In order of appearance, we'll hear from Christopher Herman, Assistant Professor of Law and Police Science and the Criminal Justice BS Coordinator, Henry Smart, Assistant Professor of Public Management and the Criminal Justice Management Coordinator. Denise Thompson, Associate Professor of Public Management and the former Coordinator of Criminal Justice Management. Rosemary Barbaray, Professor of Sociology and Coordinator of the International Criminal Justice Major. And Valerie West, Assistant Professor of Criminal Justice and that department's UCASC representative. You know, one of the things I've been uh, looking at as CJBS coordinator is I've been looking at the 
uh, the Latinx and the Africana studies minors and trying to figure out uh, ways that we could maybe uh, incorporate or kind of steer some of our CJBS students towards those minors. Uh, a lot of times our CJBS students pick, uh, you know, uh, police science or corrections or law or criminology because uh, we because they already have two of those classes typically. So they only need an additional four courses to pick up one of those minors. But if we could integrate some of those Africana studies and Latinx courses uh, as electives into our major, uh, then it would be just as easy for students to, again, take an additional four courses from their, from their two electives that they've already taken in the Africana studies or Latinx. Um, again, it's, it's, it's easy to sell a minor, I think, to the, to the undergrads when uh, they only have to take an additional four courses. This is the approach I think we have to take because we're putting uh, these students into an environment where they're dealing with the public, but they're also representing a public that's diverse. But our literature and the way we've gone about uh, providing them instruction has been limited. Uh, and I think the only way to be honest is to reach outside of our discipline. Uh, so I've got quite a bit of reading that I've, I've started really as a, a discussion and a mention through this review process of saying, oh, I forgot I need to start this process. So it requires me to do some more reading outside of our discipline, but to also be thoughtful and intentional about who I identify. And I'll just share two a few domains with you and, and give others an opportunity to speak. Uh, I'm intentionally looking for female authors, second domain, female authors of color, Third domain, authors at HBCUs and HSIs. Uh, fourth domain, female authors at HBCUs and HSIs. And female authors of color uh, at HBCU, HBCUs and HSIs that identify outside of the um, established gender norms. So I'm intentionally looking for these folks before I even take a look at their scholarship. And I think that approach would be helpful. Um, another thing that I'd add, and this is simple, but I think it's important, is that our introduction of the uh, research methods course, I think will play a good part in kind of grounding students because it is a required course and we do spend some time looking at um, informed consent and abuse in research, things like that, that was originally missing from it was just completely missing from our curriculum, but we added it. So while we are, the course is structured in a way where we're looking at students as consumers and producers of research, embedded in that is a whole strand of ethics and um, how we treat with certain populations in research, you know, things like that. Uh, sure, just to contribute to the conversation, and I'm, I'm learning an awful lot about how other programs are very thoughtfully taking uh, the critiques forward. Um, <clears throat> international criminal justice is a fairly um, 
unique field. We are the only college in the United States that offers a major in it. And the way we've crafted it, um, and we're just celebrated our 20th anniversary, is a fusion of um, three fields of study, comparative criminal justice and criminology, uh, the study of transnational crime, and most importantly for this conversation, um, uh, international human rights and violations of international law. So um, from the get-go, students in our uh, gateway course, ICJ 101, uh, learn about a variety of topics um, that uh, build in racial injustice, such as genocide, um, apartheid, um, uh, prohibition of torture, transitional justice and truth commissions, um, the problems of migration and refugees and various types of gender-based violence, um, such as uh, femicide of indigenous women. Um, it's sort of um, implicit in the major and explicitly taught that students are expected to become uh, culturally competent. Um, that's one of the premises of the major. And uh, the major was founded after 9-11 when we learned um, that many uh, U.S. criminal justice programs um, had not incorporated any sense of what goes on outside our borders or stressed intercultural communication. Um, and so our major is in many ways a response to that. Uh, luckily at John Jay, this is not something that is unusual for our students. And in fact, um, the students in the classrooms are the first to think of examples of um, discrimination, bias, and um, human rights violations and violations of international law that affect minoritized and racialized populations around the globe. Uh, so from um, the perspective of the faculty in ICJ and uh, sort of the principles on which we run the major, um, we see a systematic bias and racism as a global issue, not just a US issue, and um, obviously a violation of human rights. So those are part of the tenets of the major in and of itself. This past fall, the ICJ Student Club had a webinar um, where we uh, recruited student activists, student anti-racist activists from around the globe. Um, uh, this first attempt included people in our time zone, so students we found in Canada, France, and the UK to talk about their efforts on campus and off campus to um, deal with racism and uh, do anti-racist activism. It was a wonderful webinar um, and we aim to do something similar this semester. Um, I would say that in terms of reworking the curriculum, um, I we lack guidance from our professional association. So I contacted both the American Society of Criminology and the Academy of Criminal Justice Sciences, which are two of our most important uh, professional associations in the United States to ask if um, anybody was monitoring curricular change uh, post-Floyd. And both associations told me that they were not. Um, there are uh, divisions on um, people of color in crime um, in the ASC and a division on minorities and women in the ACJS that are taking a closer look, but uh, we are largely without guidance from our professional associations on this topic. Um, and in that way, um, I think that puts the responsibility on each institution, and um, I very much um, applaud the efforts of the framework that's being advanced. 
steps towards adoption by the college. And I'm hoping that that will lead to a systematic way to examine our curriculum, which um, I think is very much needed. Um, so far in ICJ, we have called for individual faculty members to um, examine their syllabi for inclusion, um, both by looking at the readings they're assigning as well as the topics that they're covering. Um, our curriculum includes uh, mandatory electives um, from Africana Studies and Latinx and Latin American Studies from the get-go, but um, there is no question that in our core courses, um, there needs to be more critical engagement with these topics, and I would say particularly from the point of view of the work of the United Nations, we so far have given relatively little coverage to the work of uh, CERD, the uh, Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, um, which is uh, based in Geneva and uh, is uh, largely um, the, the main committee that serves to um, monitor uh, racial discrimination worldwide. Uh, we tried to include, we created one new um, elective this past fall um, with a noted um, adjunct professor who was taught at Roosevelt House about uh, international policymaking um, on racial discrimination. She put forth a special topics course for us and we didn't have sufficient um, enrollment to run it this spring, which is very disappointing. Um, because, of course, we all know that courses run only if they get minimum enrollment, and we did not reach it despite cross-listing this course with many other different majors at the college. I hope to rerun it um, and um, spin it more positively in the fall, um, but I do think that along with blending um, diversity and anti-racism into the curriculum, we also have to make it attractive to students in terms of showing them what this knowledge uh, will do to enrich them personally and professionally and um, to encourage them to get on board. The fact that we have uh, systemic bias throughout the justice system, and when I say system, I, I, I look at it from a police and courts and corrections component. Um, so, you know, in CJBS specifically, you know, we, we, we study all three of these core components of the justice system. So we're just trying to kind of wrap our heads around the dozens of courses that really address these three components. And then how can we promote racial justice research? Uh, kind of like Henry was saying, focusing maybe uh, outside of our discipline, looking at multidisciplinary type of research that's being done right now, um, but also just, uh, I guess, updating things to making sure, making sure that we're including things like best practices or uh, all the evidence-based research that's been uh, generated over the last few years. Um, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm specifically working with uh, a couple of NYPD commanders in the NYPD executive uh, master's program. And they're looking at this concept of the uh, issue of raise the age. So no longer charging uh, 16 and 17 year olds as adults, but charging them again as juveniles. And then what's this impact having on, uh, you know, what are the impacts on the 
New York City system uh, specifically. And what we're looking at, and, and one of the, the core components, obviously, is, is looking at uh, race and gender. Um, so how many 16 and 17 year olds were arrested a few years ago? And then uh, were they rearrested? Were they arrested again when they were 17, 18, 19? Uh, so this is just a, like, like an easy to understand uh, research project um, that really gets at this issue of, you know, how does age play a role in recidivism, but it also looks at, um, you know, how, do, how does age and, and gender and age and race also kind of uh, contribute to this, this problem of recidivism for uh, youthful offenders. I got 21 summers for that most too long to be rolling down here and I can't go home and I can't go home. So I'm just curious because we know that criminal justice related fields have special considerations, especially in the time as well as the historical lens. Um, Rosemary, you mentioned that your um, uh, guiding association wasn't particularly paying attention to curriculum. Henry, you mentioned that you were looking at um, other scholars from other disciplines in order to inform in an area that your discipline did not necessarily have enough information or enough scholarship. So I'm just curious, in terms of looking at peer institutions, looking around at uh, the disciplines and so on. What are your key takeaways in terms of uh, what must be done? What are you looking at that informs the kinds of principles and actions that you're putting in place in your criminal justice related programs? So one of the things that we've been talking about in um, criminal justice management is we have a lot of adjuncts. Do we have like a, maybe a hundred adjuncts in our department, 24 full-time faculty. So it's to do training. So while we're launching our program, we bring in, and we do it at the MPA level, but not at the undergraduate level, where we bring in and discuss the curriculum and what approach we want to take to rolling it out in the different classes. Engage the people actually teaching it as they engage their students, and then we'll enrich the courses and the program. We have to make some acknowledgments. We have to acknowledge BIPOC scholars, right, and, and include them in the course content. So that's a bit of what I talked about before. But we have to also acknowledge that there is a shortage of BIPOC scholars uh, to select from. So we're inundated by the number of articles and books and even just news coverage that comes from our white counterparts. And it's not to say that that work is not quality work. It's just we now have to sift through what we typically get through our PhD training, the sort of um, standard uh, scholars that you m almost must read it or it's required or you're seeing uh, that the work that you're producing or anything that you say, if you don't reference these folks, it's deemed less than. So we have to navigate that and be conscious about it. And I think just having outward dialogues, when I go to conferences, I explain to folks um, why I'm referencing certain uh, material uh, and why I'm stepping outside of public administration when I present, because often I am. Um, and, and usually people leave that room educated, right? Because they're not thinking about what sociologists are talking about. So I just think if we get into a theme of inclusion 
and start thinking about what does it mean to be inclusive? And then what are those cha associated challenges? That means we have to have a real discussion, whether it's inward or in our, within our departments, about these two particular acknowledgements. First, let's recognize that folks at HBCUs and HSIs and MSIs, they do produce work. It just doesn't get the traction, and it may not land in sort of the more prestigious journals. So that, that makes our job harder trying to find them and finding that work. And so some of it means I'm reaching out and sending emails to some of the people I just uh, mentioned uh, and saying, hey, who should I connect with? Or can I, is there a piece of your work that ties in with what I'm doing here with this curriculum? Uh, and so I think those two acknowledgements and the effort of stepping outside of our comfort zone, uh, knowing that the, the scholars that you're reaching out to may not respond, but that's okay. But we got to make that concerted effort. I would say that uh, similarly, um, criminal justice tends to be uh, a bit of a Debbie Downer discipline. In other words, we're very focused on the negative or focused on crime or focused on victimization. Um, many years ago, I met a scholar in Europe who ran a center, I think it was called Happiness Studies. And it, he essentially studies the other side of the coin, you know, safety and inclusion and happiness and upholding of human rights and human goodness and wellness. And I said to him, you know, we're really studying the same thing, but you've put the positive twist on it. And he had an awful lot of funding because obviously, <clears throat> uh, his work was positive in nature, uh, whereas my work was largely focused on people who are victims, people who are traumatized, um, injustice, people who harm other people. Um, and I've come to think that much of our curriculum in criminal justice is very focused on the negative and not on encouraging the positive. So recently, some very good colleagues of mine um, published a book called Sex Positive Criminology. And their point was that in criminology, we focus very much on the negative parts of sex. Um, so uh, rape, for example, and um, uh, prostitution and human trafficking um, as um, always perceiving sex as something inherently harmful or um, only to be focused on in terms of um, its dark side, such as pedophilia. And they encourage criminologists to think of sex and all that is related to sex, sexual orientation and um, uh, sexual minorities as something that could be perceived in a better light. Um, so I've uh, started to think in part from the student seminar that we need to think not of the deficit model, the way you emphasize in your framework, Allison, but of uh, race positive initiatives, um, anti-racism, uh, activism, um, and um, leaderships, leadership in racial justice as things to teach our students um, and the many ways um, that diversity uh, has positive aspects for human happiness. If we're looking at national institutions, there's not a lot of guidance. Uh, and in some ways, it leaves us open, uh, and by us, I mean in local places, to really sort of drive this. There's a lot of really positive work going on um, in criminal justice broadly, depending on how you define that. Um, 
that is really, really exciting about empowering people in communities and not to constantly be looking at, as Rosemary so beautifully and eloquently described, you know, the, the, the negative parts of it, but really people taking control of the dialogue. The United States has a particular history around this issue um, that is not very good, uh, if I were being generous. Um, and this is a moment when we can really sort of seize these issues with our students, and our students are really leading the forefront. I mean, if we're honest about it, these are discussions that are really being led by um, students primarily, at least at John Jay, and nationally by young people who are saying, you know, it's, we're done. It's enough. Let's, let's reframe these questions. That I think is true. Um, and I think we're uniquely positioned at John Jay in order to have some very deep conversations and beyond pointing out systemic racism, we know this, our students know this. We've been talking about this as you know for much longer than I've been at John Jay and for a lot of John Jay's history. But really, where are the points that we can influence outcomes that um, may or may not be in the criminal justice system? I think that's the other part of it. We think of the criminal justice system as the um, agent of this and uh, uh, agent of both systemic racism and many other things, but it, it certainly has its role to play, but it is not necessarily the locus of where it starts. And I think we do have an opportunity to start making those connections between how um, our communities are uh, broadly organized and how institutions and systems interact with each other and really train our students to be very powerful agents for change by taking on those issues. And there's an, while Rosemary was talking, there's an old, I was thinking of an old article in sociology that has the provocative title of Nuts, Sluts, and Perverts. And it was a challenge to sociologists to stop thinking about um, that, you know, start to think about rather than the, you know, deviant, interesting title, but to start thinking about what was going on in these broader systems. And I think that's the moment we're in, and that's how we can really uh, impact it in, in big and small ways, right? Um, our students are, I think, trained mostly, and ours, I mean John Jay, um, we train our students to count things a lot, you know, like hear all the evidence that uh, systemic racism exists. And we now need to sort of dig a little deeper and start talking about, okay, so what do we do about it? And I think we can do that both curricularly and culturally at the college. And I think that's what we're talking about is developing new paradigms for thinking. My department, at least, you know, we're a research-based major. So all of our students do a year-long project and they do that with a faculty mentor and they do that with uh, curricular support. And the projects that they come up with are addressing these kinds of questions with the tools that we've built into the curriculum for they for them to do so, um, and it's really really quite wonderful. Valerie, I, I want to agree with you here. Um, I'm working with some graduate students where we're writing a policy analysis on how to solve the problem. So we describe right. it in the beginning of the text, right? Uh, and they struggle with oh. We're actually going to fix it and not just talk about statistics and right. <laughs> previous research. Yes, correct. So that's hard for them to get out of that frame. And I do realize it is it is on us that we have to provide more opportunities for them to critically think beyond previous research. Right. Uh, so thank you for saying that. 
uh, I, yeah, that, I just wanted to chime in with like, that's a current challenge I'm facing with students having to think outside of the box. Um, and it's not, Henry, I'm so glad you said that because it, it's not just thinking outside the box, that's really the box, right? That's the, true. Right, and that's, that's where we are because we get stuck at, it's just, you know, this is an indicator of systemic racism. Um, and that, yes, it is. But then what? What do we do about it? Right. Do we and where you locate the source of that of racism in this equation really matters, because one solution is try to make everybody not racist. Right. If it's just an issue of, of a cumulative disadvantage based on race, because people in power have continued to act in racist ways and in subtle and implicit ways. That's one set of solutions. But if you look at how the systems are interacting, you come up with a different set of solutions. And I think that's the challenge that we're in because identifying systemic racism gets you only so far. I, I want to go back to Rosemary's point. Um, in, in public administration, mostly in political science, there's this thing called positive constitutionalism where we tend to paint public servants in the most positive light and that they couldn't possibly make any mistakes throughout their workday. Uh, and we never uh, highlight the negative pieces of constitutional violations by public servants. I would really appreciate if we could move towards humanizing both the public servant and those victims of crime and those who commit crimes, right? So having a discussion about both positive and negative aspects of all parties involved. Um, and I think to me, that's a different type of inclusion but it, it, it turns these people into humans instead of numbers. Uh, so Rosemary, I wanna thank you too for that. Uh, it's something that I've been sort of wrestling with in my mind. And CJ, we tend to frame it like due process and crime control, but when you get to the people in those two processes or those two elements, we don't do a good job at having a dichotomous conversation. Uh, I'd like to maybe just chime in a little bit to say, so we're having this discussion about, you know, teaching and maybe by extension also learning. So as educators, we really need to look deep into what our, what is our role as educators? How do we translate what we see? You know, so there are a couple of things that we teach and so we teach around maybe competences, Right, we teach and we try to assess or measure what we teach. So, how do we translate some of what we're talking about, which is, I mean, you know, I mean, cutting our cutting edge? No, because we haven't been doing it, right? So it's kind of new to us. But how do we integrate and measure some of these things that we're talking about? Let's say. For instance, we have this course on ethics, which because we are looking in the organizational institutional context. And one of the things that we in our learning outcome, one of our learning outcomes is so identify, plan to um, address disruptive be behaviors, right? How do we integrate that and then measure it? to ensure that we're actually doing it. How do we bring the interdisciplinary um, uh, past strand into what we teach and how do we measure it? How do we bring in this positive um, approach to thinking about <laughs> what we do and about 
thinking about civil servants, and then how do we measure it? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about students being successful. They have to be successful in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom where we're sending them into communities. How do we ensure then that they can, once we let them out, do some of the things that we're talking about? Little boy, what you want me to tell you? Ma! Oh, in them long, hot on a day. Where is the role of the student in this, in voicing their needs, their interests, their concerns, and how do you, as faculty that are playing a role in the shaping of a curriculum, how do you factor um, students' career interests, what they're expected to uh, do and perform in the field, what their current interests are now, what those trajectories look like? How does that factor into what you're building and designing right now? Uh, I'd like to go back to Rosemary's example of, you know, a course that was developed and then it just wasn't, uh, you know, enrolled. So I, I do think that uh, student opinion or student ideas need to be considered. And, you know, we, we discussed or we, it was mentioned earlier or previously the, uh, the impact or role that the research methods courses uh, can have. And I think this is one of the, the, the easy ways, at least in my major, where we teach a thousand students uh, research methods every semester. Um, so this is, I think, a great way to uh, grab ideas or get uh, student opinions because, you know, in most of these research methods courses that we teach, we allow the students to kind of choose their own topic uh, and design their own proposal. And I think it's just a great way to collect ideas or collect topics to an extent and, and see what's interesting. Again, it'd be nice if then we had... Uh, you know, within the department, within the college, really, uh, you know, a central repository of, you know, either proposals when they're done, you know, final products, or just a, a list, maybe a, a, some, a simple Google, Google Doc that, you know, has like a, hey, these, these are the things that students are interested in. And again, a, a simple, you know, tabulation form maybe on, on the different topics that have been uh, discussed this semester and what was popular, what wasn't popular. Uh, going back to Dara's point and students leading, you know, sort of leading in this or at least serving their interest, I think, you know, Chris is right. And again, this is also Henry's point about students really come up with these really wonderful ideas about what they're interested in studying. Um, and I think historically, research method courses, uh, certainly this happened to me when I was an undergraduate, and probably all of you, um, you know, get focused on what's feasible. And so we sort of quash some of the uh, more challenging and unusual projects because of their feasibility issues. Um, but it's really when the students are engaging in the things that they are most passionate about and interesting in, interested in, and they come up with these really important observations about what works and what doesn't work. And that, I think, is really, really powerful and engaging. And figuring out as a college how we can reward 
um, and champion students who are doing that kind of work is, I think is really important. I think research week is one way because at least, you know, there's a showcase of it. But building the college into a culture where we are doing both what Henry's talking about, where you're looking at as we, you know, before and after implementation issues, um, and then our building student capacity, we start to see um, things that we would have never thought of that they've come up with that are just breathtaking. Uh, we, we've just been through our self-study and external evaluation, and the major student input in terms of our curriculum um, has been about the connection between what we teach and the jobs they can get afterwards. So I mainly hear from students in terms of, well, of, of everything we're being taught, how does this help prepare us for either graduate school um, uh, jobs or careers? And I have to say that in my conversations at career fairs, and I often go and I ask the recruiters, what are you looking for? Um, what do we need to teach that will better prepare students? I rarely hear them say, oh, we would re really like your students to tell us, you know, how racist we are, and um, we'd like them to be whistleblowers, and um, we really need some advocates for justice where we are. No, they, they rarely say that. Um, rather, they say, you know, we, we want them to be able to write well, to be able to present themselves well, and be able to think on their feet. So there is a huge disjuncture, I think, between the idealism uh, that many of us espouse in our teaching at John Jay and the mission itself, Educating for Justice, and what in particular the criminal justice workforce is looking for from our students. Many of our alumni um, will come back to us and say, hey, let me talk to your students because the real world is very different from what you're taught in college. Let me tell them what it's really like. And certainly, a lot of what we inculcate in our students in our coursework gets destroyed um, the minute they go to the academy or the minute uh, they are uh, shadowing or uh, being an apprentice to a senior criminal justice official who says, forget about that book learning. This is how it really works in the field. Um, and that's the difference, of course, between education and training, right? We largely educate and we leave a lot of the training uh, to uh, criminal justice agencies. And there is a disjuncture. It's something I think that we rarely talk about. Um, at John Jay, we like to think, well, you know, we're not responsible for training. So we're doing our part to encourage critical thinking. We're hoping our students will remember that. Um, but when students start entry-level jobs, they are very unlikely to have the leverage to put into practice everything we teach them. And they are very conscious that uh, their success in many criminal justice agencies will depend on how they tow the line and not how they protest against towing the line. So I think we need to tackle this a bit more honestly and less hypocritically um, in the work that we do at the college and uh, bridge this juncture between the idealism that we teach um, our students and our mission statement, and then the very uh, crude reality of a lot of the under-resourced criminal justice agencies um, that are really anchored in the past that our students enter upon graduation. No, I'd, I'd like to um, endorse what Rosemary just said and talk about 
communities of practice, integrating that more from our introductory courses until our, our capstone course, and even outside of that. So one thing that we could do that we're not doing is engaging a community advisory board, for instance, a community of practice that comes in at separate, you know, distinct or specific intervals, integrating some of that in our introductory course. I think we try to do it in CJM 101. Henry, you can talk about it some more. But I really do think we need to try to integrate it more. Yes, so um, Jen Ann will get a, from the Gen Ann, we can get that some of the writing and the critical thinking, which they need, but also communication and presenting yourself within the organization is critical. And in fact, we just did a, a survey of, of program directors in public administration, for instance, and of all the core, the, the competencies that we throw there, the communication and the, the um, analytics, whether it's data or non-data, you know, um, and leadership, those were the key ones, the universal ones that people talked about outside of everything else. So I do think John Jay sits at a very opportune, opportune or opportunistic position in that we train these people and we're in a community that is so diverse that we could pull all of these resources into the college. I don't think we do it enough. And I do think that that's one way that we could certainly prepare students to go out there and to be successful. Yeah, Rosemary, you had a hallelujah chorus over here. I was shaking my head. Um, I, I often students look at me sort of side eye when I say, okay, go back, write this, but use citations, give me a reference page. I said, well, we'll never use that in the real world. I said, where every job I've had, where I've worked for the government, they never let me make a statement without validating my work. And so I do think there needs to be this skill development <coughs> piece, but we also need to inventory our courses. Not every course needs to be a course about advocating for marginalized communities. Some courses really just need to be a, a transfer of skills right, a relaying of what you might need when you make it into the world of work. And I think we better position our students, not just to be sens sensitive to diversity and inclusion, but that they can't be excluded because they lack certain skills, right? So uh, I think an ideal candidate, if I was hiring, would know how to read. Even if English was their second language, if they're going to work for an English-speaking agency or organization, I've got to prepare them and as a supervisor, I've got to make up for what they don't have. So it would be great if we had those opportunities, even if it's a crash course of a three-day uh, seminar where students are a second, uh, English is their second language, to work on some of these nuanced things that might keep doors closed for them so that when they do graduate, they understand that these are these additional skills outside of when I get in the organization, I will be an advocate for change. But you have to also maintain your position in that agency if you even get the job, right? So I, I think that is pivotal in CJM 101. I'm excited about that course because we will be working with Samaya and a few other folks across the campus to have students think about their career trajectory the moment they enter into the program, even if they're taking that class 
as a way to think about our program and they're not fully committed, but to make them aware that when you come into this program, you're going to be trained so that you're successful in getting a job and keeping a job. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think as much as they're paying for this degree, that should be the return on their investment. If, if we couldn't give them anything else, we've got to give them an opportunity to be competitive in the market. I, I think going back to Rosemary's point, and there was a chorus of hallelujah over here as well. Um, you know, my constant fear about our math training of our students, um, I think is well known at this point because I'm cranky about it. I, I think sometimes we pit these things as oppositional, being agents of change and building skills. Um, you know, my own training is more of a, uh, is in project-based learning. And the skills come as, you know, as we're training them to do other things as well. Yes, we need to make sure that we are addressing real skills because that's exactly what employers want. Employers want you to be able to clearly communicate in many forms, verbally, in written format, um, to be able to present yourself uh, and to be able to represent the agency or institution on any level. So the skills have to be there, and but we don't need to think about these two things as they're in, they are in opposition of one another. But we do need to make sure that we are addressing both of these issues. And that's, you know, I think that's what you learn in the, you know, that's part of what the training is. We're not necessarily training them in the way that you would think of, you know, a, drum, a job training program, but we certainly need to be training them to be successful, functional adults in the workforce. I really like that idea of integrating courses from other departments that have expertise and um, uh, and a commitment across scaffolded across their curriculum that complements the work that each of your departments are trying to do. We heard that earlier in the discussion from Denise and Henry about including institutional racism in their courses. Uh, it's a wonderful idea because I think, as we've pointed before, John Jay is a very unique campus and the level of expertise that is complementary to the work that you're doing in the range of criminal justice departments is extraordinary. And what we get to do here is really leverage that uh, campus expertise to, to supplement, to complement and to enhance not just our programs, but also our students' particular interests. So I commend you all for the work that you're doing in your departments, but also looking across to your colleagues and calling them to calling on them to guide you, but to also not reinvent the wheel. Chris, I think you're right in terms of um, the, the easy path in the sense that Experts have developed courses that are wonderful for our students. And by drawing on that, we can also reach the impact that we want to have very quickly. So thank you for that great idea. That's one key takeaway that I have from this amongst uh, several others.
You can always tell Captain when your boys won't tell they all. You can't get on to a good old Captain. He's a walking bone. I've been working for Mr. Charlie. I wouldn't leave the brothers for to go nowhere. Oh, Jim. Oh, don't see no fire, but I'm burning down. Don't want you round.